Welcome to Nerd It Here Weekly, the weekly show from Nerd It Here First. I'm Riley Trahan, and I'm joined by Deepak Chitness. Not burping. Fred Neighbor. <laughs> How's it going? And coming to theaters in his full four-hour, 23-minute form for the first time this spring, Jackson Trahan. I hope I have an intermission. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of misinformation going around on the internet about this Return of the King extended cut coming to theaters. I'm seeing a lot of people using the number 4 hour and 11 minute. Technically doesn't include the credits, but I'll allow it. Right. Hmm. Is it just yeah. the third one because it's the 20th anniversary this year? Yeah, I believe so. You know, but I it's saw the 20th the- anniversary of the theatrical cut, by the way. Right. Yes. And it's it's just in Regal and and is it Cineplex? I couldn't remember what the Cinemark. other Cinemark, um, which was interesting because I know that like last year I saw the Alamo did all three of them as a part of this like epic thing, but those might have just been the theatricals. One would so happen. I don't I don't know, but anyway they're get, they're getting back into circulation, which will come up later in the show. <laughs> back in the circulation, they were off the market for several years. Yeah, they were in the Disney vault. <laughs> The thing about, I mean, name one character from Lord of the Rings. It just has no cultural impact. You know? <laughs> whatsoever. Jake Sully, on the other hand. Hey, there we go. There's a, there's a guy I can't wait to get four more movies about, hopefully. <laughs> um, but before I get started, we want to talk about some stuff going on on the site. As you guys know, on NIHF.com, there is a bounty of things for you to check out. And especially I wanted to mention that even if you are not a subscriber, you can now go get previews of every episode of The Nerd Out. So I went back, and you can now listen to, depending on the episode, anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes of Fred giving us a quiz about board games, or me and Fred going deep on the Mass Effect trilogy, Jack giving us a quiz about wrestling, all of us talking about Robert Downey Jr.'s like <laughs> rock album. Uh, and this Thursday, you'll be able to hear all of us talk about doing the hot chip challenge before we actually put the hot chip in our mouth. You have to pay to hear us cry. Um, you have to pay mm, to hear me cry. Don't put us into this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. two, two or three people were able to Come handle on. this chip. Don't drag me down with you. Yeah, you have to pay to hear me cry and the other two uh, to do pretty well and, and really have some great Oscar conversations. So, so that's this Thursday, so get in here for that. But we're going to get to the show. Jack, I kind of teased it. But uh, the king has returned, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I guess that's one way to put it. So uh, recently there was an announcement that uh, Warner Brothers is working on some new films in the Lord of the Rings uh, franchise, I guess it's fair to call it. Perfect. What could go wrong? Multimedia <laughs> universe, I think mm. that's what they're aiming for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um... For anyone who doesn't know, <laughs> about a hundred years ago, <laughs> uh, no. So there, there was, was there was just a gigantic war, <laughs> <laughs> the Great War. You could say it was going to end. War them. to end always. <laughs> Another one would not be necessary. Um, but they made a sequel anyway. Typical this, Hollywood. And this guy went. Now, what if it was a little little tiny film? <laughs> So, I mean, obviously, the Lord of the Rings films are uh, uh, cultural milestones, um, and a lot of people take some grievance with anyone making new Lord of the Rings anything anymore, uh, from the Hobbit movies a little bit ago now, or more recently, Rings of Power. I don't think anything Lord of the Rings-themed has received no backlash. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what do you? What are you guys' initial impressions? Do you... Uh- 
Yeah, I think it's really cool how, like, the general idea of the three original Lord of the Rings movies, like, we all just kind of agree that those are, like, the high watermark of any fantasy setting ever, <laughs> period, right? Like, yeah. no matter what anyone does ever, they will never beat the three original Lord of the Rings movies, right? And I'm Certainly. trying to think of any other franchise that has that kind of a thing. Because, hmm. like, maybe Star Wars. Maybe, like, but even those, right? Like... I don't know. New Hope is kind of not my favorite Star Wars thing, but well, that's a bad opinion. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's an interesting point that you're raising, Fred. And I, as I, mean, I want to kind of try, unless you guys really think it would be beneficial to the conversation, I'm going to try and stay away from the Tolkienness of this, except to say I need a Bombadil movie. But. Um, <laughs> Like you're right, Fred, in the sense that there right it seems weird to imagine another like sword and sorcery movie, right? That people would hold on the same level as mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings film. Um but at the same time, there is definitely not as many of them, right? And and we've been away from the epic as a genre for a while, right? And Lord of the Rings, I think, is you know, epic adjacent right but we're starting to get back to it with things like dune right and Mm -hmm. and it's almost being propelled i think by the superhero comic book movie complex right where it's okay now we'll throw 250 million dollars at anything you know for Mm -hmm. a long time there was not going to be the investment in a piece of dorky ip like the lord of the rings the way there was for lord of the rings but i wonder if now we're going to start getting into a world where we start to see that challenged but um it doesn't it doesn't change whether how people are reacting uh, on the internet to this which as far as i can tell hasn't been great no i think a lot of people (laughs) i think a lot of people are trepidatious about it although it's fair to say i think a lot of people were trepidatious about the original films when they were coming out you know mm-hmm. for sure well and and there's still i mean deepak you you're an ardent hobbit defender um i have a lot of thoughts so i just figured you guys would go first and then i'll just monologue at the end <laughs> oh no no get in here <laughs> wow <laughs> um look my general philosophy when it comes to them kind of resurrecting things that are as far as i'm concerned kind of put away is it's not for me it's to make Lord of the Rings relevant for a new generation of people that Mm -hmm. are already looking back on the movies we grew up with thinking that's 20 years ago, that's old. That's not for me. It's the same way that like in 97, that's when they re-released the old Star Wars movies for us in anticipation of the prequels because at that point they were already so old. Right. So I don't begrudge them necessarily wanting to A, make a profit off of something that they own and B, keep the legacy of that franchise and that IP alive. My thing is, for me, artistically or creatively, I don't think it's necessary, so I don't know that I'm all gung-ho about it. On the other hand, I love Rings of Power. Like Riley said, I I do enjoy the Hobbit movies quite a bit. Um, so there's always going to be, I guess, some appetite for new Middle-Earth content, and if they happen to be making something that kind of strikes my fancy or looks interesting to me, I'm not going to say that I won't check it out. I'm just, like you say, trepidatious is probably the best word. The other thing that worries me is that they apparently want Peter Jackson to come back. And I don't think that that's the right approach at all. I think Mm. it was obvious um, in making the Hobbit movies. It's not that he didn't want to make them, but I think he got burned out by making them. And without any kind of clear vision in place for what they want to do moving forward. And keep in mind that The Hobbit was obviously 
at least a skeleton of it based on a book, if not the Hobbit, then the appendices. And he still was kind of in the woods, wandering around, trying to figure out what to do with them. I don't have any, as great a director as he is, I don't know that he's going to have any more of a vision when it's such an open-ended thing like this. I also, um, for I would like to have maybe Del Toro come back, give it another shot, or any number of new upcoming directors who may have more of a fresher take on it, the way that Spielberg, not that Mangold is a new director, but Spielberg mm-hmm. obviously realized Indy is no longer in his wheelhouse and handed it off, so that may not be the worst thing either. Yeah. But I'm not particularly gung-ho about new Lord of the Rings movies, other than to say that I'm glad it doesn't look like they're going to remake what's already been told. Yeah, and that is true. It seems like uh, they're looking to do some kind of new stories or original ideas, although they've been pretty quiet about what specifically they're looking for. It's probably still pretty Because influx. I don't think they know, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and for what it's worth, I also think that, just I wanted to pile onto your thing, Deepak, um, I would be sad to see Peter Jackson spend the rest of his career in Middle Earth. Correct. Like, I just, I, I think that the six Lord of the Ring Middle Earth movies by Peter Jackson are some of the finest filmmaking I've ever seen in my life, right? Mm-hmm. Let's not get that twisted. I'll right. fight with you about why I think the Hobbit movies are great, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll have that argument. Yeah. Um, Peter Jackson is an incredible filmmaker, uh, who has done some really interesting stuff and did, I think some of the best stuff is in his career before he got tagged with Lord of the Rings. He did some really innovative, weird horror stuff, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen Heavenly Creatures, it's not a conventional horror movie, but it's a true crime movie that he did, which is Kate Winslet and Melanie Linsky's first movie ever. Yes, watch Heavenly Creatures and then tell me that you want that guy to be stuck in a Warner Brothers style MCU system for the rest of his life. No, and I I do like big Peter Jackson, like I like King Kong King Kong. Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think that is, that makes a strong case for being his, you know, second place behind the collective Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be franchise-driven. He well, has tried to make Halo. He tried to do... He I mean, he produced Mortal Engines and District 9, and he has kind of played with things. But I also do like Peter Jackson kind of taking the Lucas route and going, I've made my money. I kind of just want to focus on the Beatles for a bit. I kind of just I, Well, that's do, what like, I was about World to say. One documentary for it's, a bit. Like, Get Out rules. Or Get Back. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Get Out. Yeah, Get Out rules, too. Get Out rules, too, but I don't think Jackson was related <laughs> to that project. Yeah, I mean, that's. I want to see him doing interesting, innovative stuff, chasing his passions, deciding he wants to give me a 4K colorized nine-hour Beatles documentary. And I yeah. apparently really needed it in my life because it owned Bones, right? So, so getting back to Lord of the Rings for yes. a little bit. Yes, let's steer back um, there. So... Uh, Peter Jackson did make some interesting choices while making the original trilogy, right? Like, we know that they are not 100% faithful to the books, but I think no. he made fair compromises. So, when you're making other stories, like, could you have Raising of the Shire that exists in the same universe as those three movies? Yeah, so that that was something that brought up that was brought up when Rings of Power was first in a nebulous stage of being developed and announced, and they thought that it was going to potentially be the Tolkien estate wanting that more literal adaptation of the books. Mm-hmm. So there is potentially some room for them to go. Okay, we're going to remake Lord of the Rings, but rather than remaking it the way that you've already seen it, we're going to remake it the way that a lot of you haven't seen it because you've only watched the movies or you've only known this story in literature and we're actually going to show it to you visually. 
Again, I don't know. And how it's going to be eight is. hours long. Well, I, I was book. Per book, I was about probably. to say, here's the model I could see: the current very broken cinema system. I think it's I, I could see it taking origins. Yeah. This well, in the theaters, <laughs> in the theaters, it's Gandalf origins, Aragorn origins, Legolas origins, and then AKA on the it, and then on HBO Max, you get to tune in. For season one of The Lord of the Rings, which takes you all the way to Rivendell, and then season two of The Lord of... And they keep you on the hook that way. <laughs> I See, I don't know if Amazon has it worked out in such a way that they can't have another streaming show on a computer Oh, service. that's a great point. So I think they do need to probably be... Go to theaters, yeah. Interesting. Or well, Actually, uh, there's a current court case going on right now with South Park, actually. Where even though they signed deals, I think right. it was um, Comedy Central was I think releasing it's HBO like HBO Max or something. Yeah, they were releasing yeah. like special, like they were calling them specials, not episodes, mm-hmm. so that so they they're could not covered by the contract. Yeah, so they're they're out of the contract, and so that that case is currently ongoing. So that could affect this. That South Park will still... no doubt make a fire episode out of this. <laughs> it's definitely still early on in the stages of everything to to say anything conclusive. But uh, maybe to close up this story, uh, since it's so early, we can kind of speculate a little bit. And we're all pretty big fans. Riley, you're the biggest one I know of these stories. Riley um, doesn't even like Lord of the Rings. What, what <laughs> would your right. ideal films be to come out of this? Like, not what you think will happen, but if you were in charge of these, what would you want to make? Oh. Okay. Um, Did he already say he wants Bombadil Origins? Yeah, would it be Bombadil Origins? It, it would not be Bombadil Origins. Tommy um, uh, that would be silly. Um, let me give you kind three. Of the character, let me give you. Let me give you three. Yeah, it okay. would really. It would really blow the whole thing up. I don't want to know anything about that man. Here are the three <laughs> things I want to know about that man. His pants are yellow. <laughs> he's married he's to a, a hot river. He's married to the hot daughter of a river. And and he has an incredible flow. He can bust a rhyme like nobody's business. That's true. That's, I never want to know anything more than that about Tom Bombadil. Uh, he's like Yoda to me that way. Here are the three stories that I would be interested to see portrayed on the big screen in a Lord of the Rings movie universe. Mm-hmm. The first one. The tale of Baron and Luthien. This is probably the one I would be the most excited to see. Okay. It is the progenitor story to the aragorn eowyn relationship Mm. it is the story that was closest to tolkien's heart uh his wife and he on their tombstones it says baron and luthien for each of them it's the story of a human man who falls in love with an elven woman uh and they are involved in the battle against morgoth and baron is captured by morgoth and his elven wife goes Fine, guess I'll have to do it myself, and picks up a sword and goes and kicks Morgoth's ass and saves her love. <laughs> that would this be a is cool. From Silmarillion, correct? Yes. Yeah. That, that would be a story I would love to see uh, because it would have a lot of big cosmic stuff. Uh, I think it would be have some cool battle sequences, uh, and it's just so important to the canon and to Tolkien himself. The second, second one that would just be fun for me to see uh, would be the fall of Numenor. Um, okay. this, yeah. this, I think we're going to get that in the yeah, show. Yeah, good news. I think we yeah. will definitely get that in the show. But I'm just saying, like, if I'm blue-skying things I would like to see as a movie. I understand. Um, I don't know, for example, if the show is going to get into how, like, when that happens, Middle-Earth cracks 
and becomes <laughs> right. round and you can right. like no longer reach the gray havens and things like that right like i don't know if it's going to get into all that and i feel like a movie would give you the real estate to work on that stuff um and then oh, if i had the way around i would have thought the show has the real estate because there's more time oh i just don't know yeah but they have but like the show's plot they so have to move things. forward yeah yeah mm-hmm. um and then i guess the third one if i had like a like a real wild card that i had to pick i would want to see Gollum's story yeah, I mean they're like, making that. We didn't even mention, but they're making that video that games game. coming out. Yeah, they released a gameplay trailer, didn't they? Yep. Recently. Yeah. yeah, it looked a lot like sticks, Fred. Oh, it's well, yeah, that makes sense actually. It does make a lot of sense. I was like, oh, <laughs> you works. just reskinned that game, sure. <laughs> I mean, sure, like stealth game, like yeah, that, yeah, that, that right, tracks. stealth game in a weird <laughs> ogre dungeon. Um, but yeah, I don't. That would be like a sad story, right? But he's one of the characters. I mean. Of the characters that we were just talking, like, goofing about, like, Aragorn Origins, right? That is maybe the story that I think is most rife for, like, artistic pursuit. And you know what? If, if, I'm, if I'm cutting checks, let Andy Serkis direct it. <laughs> yeah. I would like to see I'd, Andy Serkis get it some. correct. The yeah. only thing I could possibly think of that would still be somehow a little relevant to the old movies, because I don't know that they want to make something that's totally different. I think they do want to have it integrated into what's already existing mm-hmm. from Peter Jackson would be to kind of maybe cover the gap between we've seen Saruman's first encounter with the Dark Lord at the end of Battle of the Five Armies, and we see him kind of become entranced by the evil that he sees. So to fill in the gap between that and where we see him in Fellowship of the Ring, where he's slamming Gandalf against the walls and stuff, that chart, that kind of Anakin Skywalker descent into darkness might be the one thing I could possibly suggest. That'd be really cool. I I would... I'm kind of with you, dude. I would love that they kind of expand on the a lot of the people like, like the quote unquote like plot holes of the movies. Like, like where was Gondor when the Westfold fell? Like, mm. I want to see like what is going on outside of the Fellowship that right. just gives a better understanding of the world. Like, like I don't know. I don't. You don't need to do a whole movie about it, but like a Rogue One kind of a thing with Boromir, Faramir before going you to want like a war movie with none well, yeah, of the I mean, evil magics. Yeah. No, I mean, you can do evil magic too, but like just expanding on what is actually going on and why this whole ring business is so important, right? We're we're still getting a Riders of Rohan anime movie, I think, also. Yeah, we are. On Netflix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it'll be very exciting to see how these things progress. Uh, It was just announced very recently, so it'll probably be years still before we actually get anything, Mm -hmm. uh, let alone Bombadil Origins, but... (laughs) I'm excited. All right. What do you guys know about Dick Tracy? Uh, I know some, but not a whole lot. He's unfortunately named. Okay. Very colorful. Okay. So I don't know where I need to start here. This is kind of a weird story. Uh, It happened a couple weeks ago, but we've been doing other stuff, and Deepak and I really just wanted to sort of tilt our heads to the side and say what the fuck um so let me ask, let me let me come at it from this direction instead guys if you i'm gonna put you in a position um, a, a mental scenario if you will sure the question that i'm gonna ask is what character or piece of ip is so important to you that you would do the following you know how marvel used to cut these sorts of deals with like Fox, back when Fox was a company, where they could keep the rights to the X-Men so long as they kept making X-Men movies every so many years. Mm -hmm. 
So that's why they shout out that fifth, yeah. uh, Fantastic Four with um, all the problems. Back yeah, in- yeah, that yeah. or the the nineteen nineties Fantastic Four that everybody always points to is not even really existing, but like mm-hmm. got made to keep those rights. That sort of a thing. Right. So that's why we keep getting Hellboy movies too. By the way, different it, label, but still, it is why we keep getting Hellboy movies. So, so you're in a scenario like that, and oops, your alarm clock wakes up in a Ferris Bueller style montage, and gosh, guys, it's the day. You gotta get it. You gotta get the movie in by tomorrow, or you lose the rights. So you think to yourself, I-, "I can't get anybody else in on this because, by the way, this isn't the first time I've slept until the deadline on this project, and now everyone has abandoned their faith in me. So it's just me. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get on a Zoom call with myself, where one of me's in character." And will argue about whether or not I should be allowed to keep the rights to the character. Where the character will be screaming to the high heavens, please, please, Warren Beatty, release me. And I, Warren Beatty, I suppose, will say, no, Dick Tracy, I'll keep you in my dark clutches until I die. The question is, what would that character be for you? Who would be so in Bond? Deepak would want to own the rights to Bond. That's a fair one. Pretty big deal. (laughs) Jackson, you got one? Um, a fictional character so important you'd get on a Zoom argument with yourself on national television twice? <laughs> he did it twice. I, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I can't... I mean, I can't... I'm having trouble thinking of one. Yeah, okay. Fred? <laughs> um, for me, it would probably be Batman. It's Captain Rex. Sure. Yeah, we, I'm, I'm say Captain, Captain Rex. Rex, yeah. Oh, my God. Can, can I pick Captain Rex? I would do Captain Rex. You can pick Captain Rex if you want. I want okay. to pick Captain Rex. <laughs> so here's the deal, guys. So in the 90s, Dick Tr- uh, there was a Dick Tracy movie starring Warren Beatty who owned the who had purchased the rights to Dick Tracy. Um, and he made it with Madonna. And it actually like won an Oscar. Al Pacino got an Oscar nomination. Yep. Um, it's a... It's a very 90s comic book movie, right? It's got big costumes. It's got big prosthetics. The Dick Tracy characters are inherently silly. They all have names like Squarejaw and Mudmuck and things like that, right? Like coffee. drawn very exaggeratedly, which is why there's so much makeup. Yeah, like there's a guy named Mughead, and his head looks like a mug with a handle and everything. Mm -hmm. Right? So, like, when they were making the movie, they went great. Um... Wonder if that's where Cuphead came from. Ooh, question. Two follow up for sure. Uh, uh, like I said, Madonna crawls across a desk and sings a song. It's a whole thing. Warren kind of got Roger Rabbit vibes a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Similar aesthetics. Yeah. Warren Beatty has maintained the rights to those characters, which he purchased from Tribune Media back in 1985, right? Tribune Media tried to take them back in 2002 because they were like, hey, uh, Warren, you're not doing anything with these. You haven't made a movie since Madonna crawled on your desk. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm working on one right now. The Dick Tracy special is in the works. And uh, in, in 2011... The U.S. District Court ruled that by making the Dick Tracy special which was uh, him going on Larry King Live in character and doing an interview about being Dick Tracy, Uh, the U.S. court ruled that Beatty had sufficiently done the work to keep the rights. 
right? So Doofus here is riding high, thinking he'll just go on Larry King again. Oops, pandemic. Also, he's 85. Stop barking, please. And then, uh, so, so he can't do, you know, he can't just be walking on to a late night show or whatever. So here's what he does. It's called Zooming In with Dick Tracy. It was a Zoom call with Dick Tracy and uh, two guys from Turner Classic Movies, Leonard Moulton and Ben Mankiewicz. And uh, about halfway through the special, who should join the special but Warren Beatty to defend the choices that he made in his movie that Dick Tracy has been deriding for about the last 15 to 20 minutes. And then the two get into an argument about what the future of Dick Tracy should look like and start pitching Dick Tracy too. It's the most depraved thing I've ever watched. <laughs> what do you mean? That sounds normal. Yeah. Okay, look, would you rather have them sink $200 million into a shitty Dick Tracy movie? I would rather Warren Maybe. Beatty give up the rights. Well, yeah. here's the thing. How old is Warren Beatty? 85. Do the rights <laughs> lapse back to the parent company when he passes? Or yes. Or does it pass on to his estate? No. Who's the parent company? They're called Tribune Media. They, it's a comic. They're an old comic book from like the 40s when Dick Tracy was like a new A thing, thing. yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is all they have, dude. They're holding on to the prospect they get these rights back. That's their entire company is basically built on that idea. Because here's the thing. Let Beatty hold on to it. He's mm-hmm. 85. He can't live forever. Within the next, not to be morbid, but let's say decade, they will probably lapse back, at which point you can go into development with some streaming company for like a Dick Tracy procedural, the way that they may have reinvented like Perry Mason for HBO Max or something like that. No, I'm sure you that's take, the plan. Yeah. And it, it's it's kind of a shitty way to do it. If I mean, looking from the outside in, for Beatty, I... I do think he has a genuine affection for Dick Tracy and this world. I think he does want to hang on to it because he's blind to the selfishness of, you know, like what we were just talking about with Lord of the Rings. You can kind of let it go and let it become something else for a new generation and still latch on to what you have from your time. Or you can hold on to it selfishly going, no, it's mine. And if if I can't do anything with it, I don't want anyone else to do anything with it, Um, which sucks. But. It is what it is, and I also don't see a huge public appetite for Dick Tracy content either. So it's not like people are banging down the door for him to give them up. Yeah, I just Googled some of the character images from that previous movie, and I'm not super sad I don't have to see more of them. (laughs) Um, Pacino looks wild in that movie. I could not tell you which one of these was Pacino. The guy with the really long chin and the the nose. He almost looks like an anti-Semitic stereotype. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe not even almost. Maybe he is. Um, I, yeah, I don't. I will. This is more than I thought we would have to say on Dick Tracy, but I, I will say that I think part of that is because he's been camping on these rights, right? That like people haven't been able to drum up any sort of public knowledge for who this character is because Beatty made one bad movie in the '90s, and now no one's been allowed to touch it since then, right? On the other hand, you know. I think wasn't when you considered a bad movie at the time. No, it wasn't. And hey, they talk about it. I'm telling you, there's a full-on chunk where I was trying to see if I could pull the audio in here easily, but there's a full-on chunk where it's just Dick Tracy watching portions of the movie that I think look pretty cool and like are the kinds of things we would kill to see in a superhero movie today, right? Because it looks mm-hmm. so weird and goofy, it's big um, and campy and fun, and a lot of the things that you know. It's practical also because it's 
pre-computer. We'll get to that in a second. And he's just going, no, 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 no. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. Maybe he sees what comic book movies have become, and it's just like, I don't want Dick Tracy becoming that, not while I'm alive. Well, and so then that's the thing. So for the last, I would implore you, like I said, I wanted to pull the audio in. Maybe I'll try and drop it in for the listener. But the last five minutes are Tracy and Beatty arguing about what Dick Tracy 2 should be. Mm. And it's bug nuts. So what do they conclude? Oh, they they actually uh, they meet up at. It turns out they both have the fa- same favorite restaurant in L.A. What are the odds? <laughs> Coincidentally, uh, so they meet up there, and um, no, it's some diner. They say the name, I just don't remember it. Um, oh, the one hundred and one, because that's gone now. It's not the one hundred and one, but they no, they put a new one in there. It's the same place. It just they got done over. We can talk L.A. diners later. Um, miss that place anyway they go there and they have lunch and they start working out a script so who knows dick tracy 2 coming when warren Beatty is 95 years old one assumes yeah it could it could be like dick tracy maverick for all we know no this is dick tracy maverick that's what i'm saying gotta go watch this (laughs) all right Feedback. Yeah, so like I hinted at just a few minutes ago, um, there's a lot of talk about visual effects and the quality thereof and the modern movie landscape, superhero movies specifically, and uh, no better place to talk about the nexus point between effects work and superhero movies than Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Has uh, anyone movie. else seen it? No. Okay. No. Just confirming. <laughs> No one else in the world. Just I, me. <laughs> uh, I have I have read enough on Twitter and heard enough from other people that I think I know what happens in it, but I have not actually seen it. Anyway, that's not the point. Um, there's been for several years now um, longstanding complaints about the quality of visual effects and specifically the Marvel movies and then, of course, the general shellacking that the visual effects industry has taken really for the better part of 10 or 15 years when visual effects and computer-generated imagery has become the standard operating tool for movie makers at a, above a certain budget level and the need for the visual effects industry to unionize because of working conditions and the fact that, again, keeping it Marvel-specific, that they get these 11th-hour changes where Shang-Chi's final fight is taking place in some temple and then they decide to randomly change it to like a dirt patch somewhere or whatever. So anyway, um, in Ant-Man and the Wasp, it turns out that they kind of had a Lion King and Pocahontas situation with this where Ant-Man and the Wasp was in development or rather in post-production at the same time as Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And Wakanda Forever understandably was seen as kind of the A product and um, Ant-Man was seen as the B product. And because of that, the eighteen actually bee, ants and bee, bee product. Ants and bees are actually different insects. That's wanna... true. Oh, you got me. Hey, um, if it was Fred, so... it would have been a good pun. <laughs> I can't get there fast enough. <laughs> I caught it as soon as you stopped me. I was like, "Bee." Anyway, um, anyway, there's, there should be a live action reboot of Bee movie. But buzz, buzz. Um, right. Um, what was I saying? Anyway, so the A team got put on Wakanda Forever, and Wakanda Forever therefore had. There were still complaints about the visual effects in that movie, but I don't think to the extent that we have heard from Ant Man and the Wasp, which apparently at large times looks like it's just not even finished yet. And it turns out that's kind of true, um, because there were uh, a number of articles, mainly from Vulture, uh, that talked to several of the um, post production people, workers, supervisors, so on and so forth on Quantumania, who essentially 
told them about this, that Wakanda Forever was prioritized over it, not just because of the release date, but because of the perceived um, uh, importance of the movie. And also because of the fact that Marvel just kept putting in last minute changes, last minute changes to, you know, stories or locations. And the quote that's really the takeaway here is uh, it comes from a man named Jim, who has been kept anonymous as long as his company's name. Jim is a visual effects technician who has worked on more than a half dozen Marvel movies and series and has worked on a number of other movies in the industry and has essentially said here, quote, a lot of us are sitting here thinking the money is there. Why is it not coming down? Marvel spending a bit more money to pay for VFX people wouldn't make that much of a difference for the executives all the way at the top, but if it comes down to them not being comfortable with their bank numbers and us working until burnout, we lose every time. Honestly, I equate it to human greed. So that kind of happened around the same time. This article came out around the same time that we got the announcement Marvel is going to start scaling back on their release calendar. We got news that the Marvels, uh, when they announced the poster, uh, got pushed to November. Uh, some of the series developments have been put on pause. Some of the movies have been pushed out further. We still don't have firm timelines on what all are in Phase 5 and 6, but we have seen increasingly substantial rumors that Shang-Chi 2, Eternals 2, Doctor Strange 3 are going to be added to the calendar. We already know that pre-production on Fantastic Four is well underway with casting expected to be announced within the next month or two. Um, but again, this kind of all goes back to the phase four of it all with Marvel and now Ant-Man being the start of phase five, that they are not necessarily getting off on the right foot here with the Kang part of their multiverse saga. Um, so I guess throwing it out there as to what we think about. No, seriously, let someone else talk about this. So you can go take care of that poor dog. Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. What's so let me her. say the big, no, she, this just, this stuff makes her so sad. She gets so bummed out by the way visual effects artists are treated she in this industry. She just loves Marvel, and she wants, wants him to do well. She's she wants a good girl. She is a good girl. That we can all She's say with girl. absolute <laughs> certainty. Um, so I'll say to you guys, uh, well, part of the reason I was asking if anyone had seen Ant-Man, we're not going to get into Ant-Man spoilers, but I will say a little bit about just what it looks like to kind of speak to the visual effects and the question. And the story. And all the big important things that happen <laughs> at the end. So, um the quantum realm is largely depicted as an empty void of ever-changing color. And... So it doesn't would you, would, look like what it did in the previous ones? Uh, it's... Not as detailed, I would say, especially during maybe big visual effects heavy battles. Deepak, you remember how uh, you were talking about how the end of Shang-Chi kind of takes place in a big, like nebulous purple void it's just, a, it's just a patch of we've talked about how much they're in love with their like particle yeah. generation yeah. machine and all this. Yeah. yeah sorry fred you were saying something i cut you off no no um i just said the shang chi was kind of a weird movie, it was a terrible <laughs> movie. but so so my point is what does ant-man do he gets big and he gets little right you know what that's not impressive in front of an indistinguishable background <laughs> when there's nothing to compare him to. There's literally there's literally a sequence in the movie. This is, I guess, a spoiler, I suppose. Cassie gets big. You know, she, she has <gasps> well, Ant-Man yeah, powers. I mean, she's a kid. She grows up, right? No, she uses her Ant-Man powers. <laughs> no, she has already shrunk down to subatomic size. So I guess the idea of her getting a little bigger, I don't know if that should count as a spoiler or not. But regardless, she has to say out loud... To her father, I got big, 
Because we don't know that. Because there's nothing that we, the viewer, can compare her to and know, go, oh, hey, look, she got big. So th- I mean, that's the thing. The whole selling point of Ant-Man is, like, the sense of scale in the real world. Right. Yeah. So that is kind of, like, I think that is a place where you... The second movie does a great job with it. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the place where you can feel the lack of budget in this film, is my whole point. Mm-hmm. That, like, there, like, there's not enough detail work put in, and there's probably not the budget for it, to get to a point where you can look at the, you, you know, the movie even kind of works on a visual level. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of different, like, times in very famous movies where, like, the limitations put on practical effects, like, make for a better movie. Mm. Right, like the destruction of Alderaan in A New Hope was not supposed to happen. They were oh. supposed to film on Alderaan. Look at him trying and, like, to walk it back now. All of a right. sudden, he's into the destruction of Alderaan in New Hope one minute ago. <laughs> he fetishizes Imperial armor. I he does. Remember. That's a good point. Fred's like, I'm so it's glad we got to see that planet explode. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hippies. God damn. <laughs> the the point is, like, they were supposed to have scenes on it, which is why Leia's like reaction doesn't make a lot of sense for the rest of the movie because it was never supposed to blow up. It, they just ran out of time and money. They didn't so they, tell Fisher they were going to do that in front of her. That's why her reaction is so genuine. They yeah. Destroy Alderaan. <laughs> so, anyway, the the point is that, that type of thing doesn't work when you're doing it to digital artists, right? Oh, they yeah. Yeah, they, because you're they, not limited. You're not actually trying to, like, find a creative way out of something. You just, like, delete, delete, delete. Yeah. Right? Well, I think like, that's the perception of it. It's like, oh, yeah, we just need this to happen now. Can you do that? Right. And it's like, yeah, well, we need to have a design. We need to have, you know, general aesthetic. <laughs> we need to have a conversation with the DP and the production designer <laughs> and the director as far as what you guys. It's like, no, 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 just just do it because yeah. the release date's in three weeks and we just fucking need them to be in front of like an orangey glowing cosmic bullshit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's, it, sorry, Fred, I don't mean to. No, I'm just like, give the money and time, right? Yes. Like, you put limitations in other places. Yes. Um, I think the, the Silent Hill games were, like, an excellent example of this, too, where, like... Go off. They had, they had all the budget and everything for the Silent Hill video games, but the physical d- games being played, like, couldn't render a certain distance, so they invented the mist, right? So that was, like, a, a quick workaround for, like, a, a actual hardware issue, right? But you're not doing that to them in this type of thing. You're just saying, like, we need this tomorrow. Yeah, so exactly. So what is, what is the classic adage is that you can have it um, you can have it fast but cheap, or you can have it, like, there, there's, I can't remember. I should, it's it's, quality, it's, to be it's quality speed and cost. Yeah, right, yeah exactly. pick two. Fred, Which you they clearly do with Dune, right? Dune is something you walk in and he has a vision. Yeah, and it's it's even cheaper than the Marvel movies if you look at the budget. I think it's under two hundred million dollars, but everything feels and looks tactile because you've got someone who comes in there with all the division and all the designs, and he goes, "This is what we're doing, and we're not making changes at the eleventh hour that we can't make." Mm-hmm. Versus the kind of assembly line of Marvel, which is that well, we've got the release date coming up, and the thing that really gets me with some of the Marvel movies is if you're making a story change because you think that it's going to affect a future movie. That is understandable. To just change the environment of some random scene makes no sense to me. Like, I don't see how that positively or negatively impacts the production from, like, a quality standpoint, other than just to say, oh, we had an idea, and it'll take them just a few keystrokes to make it happen, which is clearly not the case. I I do think that Marvel specifically is hampered by this 
needing to hold the whole thing together, right? Uh, like, like the Eternals has become kind of a meme now, right? Because it's like, why has nobody talked about the giant monster sticking out of Which the ocean? They're apparently that's apparently what Thunderbolts is going to be about. So that's that's bizarre, but okay. Um, oh, do you not know this? No, I hadn't heard that. <laughs> the rumor is that the Thunderbolts is going to be about the fact that. Tiamat, the thing coming out of the water, uh, ocean, yeah. is adamantium. Oh, interesting. So um, the government wants adamantium. Yeah, sure. Anyway, like I think, I think it becomes things like that, right? We can't have Shang-Chi fight on the roof of a building because he has to be a secret. So we have to put him in some weird swamp or something. Just make something really quickly. It doesn't matter what it looks like, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it is creep that started from going to directors and saying, hey, you don't have to worry about the action stuff. We already pre-vised it for you. We just need you to shoot some dialogue sequences, right? right? But but Fred, you showed me a like short YouTube documentary probably five or so years ago at this point. Probably more than that. God, ten years ago? I don't but um I remember the primary thing they showcased was the effects artists that James Cameron made redo the stars in Titanic. And they were talking about how there is this Sorry. Go ahead. No, that was after the movie came out, though. It's slightly different. Oh, interesting. Well, that's one so of the- what happened was he, the movie had come out, and some astrologist or whatever had seen the movie, or astronomer saw it and went, great movie, just wanted to let you know where they are in the sea, the stars wouldn't look that way. So for the home video, he had them go in and change it. Maybe it's the And astrologers looked at it and went, oh, that's not really what a Gemini would do. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it's not in the stars. It shouldn't have gone down. Uh, it's a, it was the seagulls, actually, is what I think what I was thinking of. I think I remember the stars were a different thing. But either way, they were talking about how, like, at the time, there were five clients in the world, right? Disney, mm-hmm. uh, Fox, Paramount, uh, Paramount Warner, Brothers, Warner Brothers, and, and, uh, and Columbia. And now it's shrinking, Right. right. Um, or universal, maybe. and they were saying there's only there's never going to be more, right? It's not like there's suddenly going to be a studio that size. So everybody is just trying to undercut the cost of everybody else, right? So it's a race to the bottom for the artists, mm-hmm. and then the the you production don't have the power to say no to something like a behemoth, right? Like Disney, which is where at least forty percent of the industry's work comes from. Is yeah, Disney shit. Hey, maybe monopolies are bad. Maybe, but I, I do think there's merit. See, I, I come at this from... So I used to know someone who... Uh, I mean, they're still alive, but they were um, with... Um, I think it was Rhythm and Hughes, which is the house behind Life of Pi. Mm-hmm. And so they were part of that documentary, Life After Pi, where you know the visual effects, that company folded because they just did not have enough money after Life of Pi. There was a lot of controversy about the fact that it won visual effects, but then Ang Lee never mentioned the visual effects artist when he was when he won best director mm. um, there's a lot of bad blood that has been boiling up in the visual effects industry for the at least a decade now because life of pi is already 2012 and um it's going to lead to a tipping point where in eventually there has to be some give somewhere either the production realizes that some of it has to be practical and they have to really limit what they're putting into cgi which i doubt is going to happen because i just don't think the business the, the industry as, as a whole at the moment it exists can can support that type of movie making. So the other ha- the other side of that then becomes that the visual effects industry needs to stand up for itself and either unionize or put their foot down and say, we cannot take on this project unless you give us X number of days and X budget if you go over. And if you can't do that, we, we're out. And yeah, then you basically have to hold Disney's feet to the fire and every other studio's feet to the fire and say, 
you give us reasonable demands and you give us reasonable pay, we're happy to do it for you, but we can't do it like this because then everyone suffers, right? Because now you have quantum mania where the studio's getting shellacked, the director's getting shellacked, the movie itself is getting shellacked, the visual effects are getting, like, there's no, no one comes out of this unscathed except for maybe Paul Rudd because he's Paul Rudd. There, it is weird though, right? Just because, like, every other aspect of movie making is unionized. Like, I, I'm mm-hmm. surprised that visual effects aren't at this point. Because it's so new. It's really only come, in, come up in the last, like, 15 to 20 years, right? I mean, there have been CGI effects since the late 80s with, like, young Sherlock Holmes or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, as far as the omnipresence of it, like, every, like, it's not even just movies. Like, think about commercials. Commercials are literally just VFX demo reels these days. Any car commercial you see, especially. Um, so there's no, going to have to... There was a Prius commercial with a. I was oh, going to say, was... I've seen some pretty good, uh, I've seen some pretty good car commercials in my I day. I feel like I've seen, I feel like every car commercial I see now is just the car on like some imaginary fantasy track. Well, that's because you don't watch yeah. your own work. <laughs> watch my own work. Oh. Yeah, you that, were in that's a, a commercial. That's what we were doing. We were doing a bit about how you were in a car commercial. Oh, I get it. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> my career highlight. No, but you're right. I mean, I hear you. Although, Deepak, I would like to... I don't know as much about it as you do, but I want to hear... Do you? Are there other groups like that that are missing out? I know a lot of like press organizations that like aren't unionized that, that want to be. But in Hollywood, are there other... We talk a lot about groups who like aren't recognized at their award ceremony or whatever. But are there, are there, are there other groups that deserve like actors' equity SAG-style treatment that aren't getting it right now beyond... Visual effects there probably artists? are, but off the top of my head, the big one is visual effects because I know stunts, like for example, they're not recognized the way, like they don't have an Academy Award category to themselves. But I do believe there's a, there's a union for stunt workers, um, and they're probably in SAG. Correct. Yeah, they are part of SAG and AFTRA and IATC and whatever. But um, no, visual effects is the big one, and the, the more that we keep relying on them for everything, because. The days of building big sets and doing like a, just a couple of days ago, going back to Titanic, someone film Twitter always fascinates me because it's like people are just learning things that have been known for twenty years, and um, they're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe they built like this huge ass actual boat for Titanic and put it in like a water tank." It's like, yeah, you can't do that now though. Right. That's that's why we're on Pandora because Pandora is something you can make entirely in a computer. Uh, there's no practical part of Pandora whatsoever other than like the harness that Jake ties to like the sea dragon. And even that <laughs> has like CG enhancements on it, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just, it's just a different world. And at some point Hollywood will need to reconcile with that fact and make the necessary adjustments or kind of reap what they sow. Yeah. Here, this is from an article on Vulture in uh, January of this year. Headline is inside the VFX union brewing in Hollywood. The byline is Chris Lee. Vulture mm-hmm. senior reporter uh, who does a lot of good Hollywood coverage. Um, and this is a paragraph about a third of the way down. It says, talk to any VFX artists or tech working in modern Hollywood, and certain complaints come up over and over. The punishing deadlines, grueling work hours, too few workers charged with too f- much work, underpayment, and systemic pixel fucking, an industry phrase <laughs> used to describe the nitpicky behavior clients mm-hmm. who lack that VFX knowledge to communicate their needs. Ben Sprite, an organizer at the American Guild and the VFX IATSE, a rapidly growing wing of the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employers, mm-hmm. of which Patch is a member. IATSE, yeah. thank you. The first form founded in 2012 says the industry has grown exponentially since the late 90s and early 2000s when it was con- 
consisted of several hundred visual effects workers. According to the effects and gaming directory site Studio Hog, there is now 582 visual effects houses worldwide, somewhere between 31,000 and 117,000 workers plying their trade at any given time. The VX industry watchdogs estimate that across TV and film, there's currently about three times the amount of workers as there are visual effects professionals to execute the work. So three times as much work as workers. And, and another and another big mistake that Marvel is making in a lot of cases is you'll see visual effects workers really praising certain directors they work with who have that background of visual effects. Right. Uh, David Fincher and Gore Verbinski come up a lot as two directors who, when they're giving notes to visual effects houses, they're very precise in what they say because, especially with Fincher, going all the way back to working on Return of the Jedi's visual effects as part of ILM, he has that knowledge and he has that kind of jargon to be able to speak with them and get exactly what he wants. He's also someone where, like, you and I go back and forth a lot about how the best visual effects are the ones you don't notice. So, like, Benjamin Button mm-hmm. or Social Network or Zodiac or whatever are covered in visual effects that you just don't otherwise really know. I mean, Benjamin Button is obvious, but the other ones maybe not so much. So when Marvel is picking the guy who's coming off a Sundance indie darling that costs $2 million to helm the next Spider-Man versus the Fantastic Four bullshit, um, they're not going to know what they want other than to just say, yeah, can you make the blue shinier on the costumes? Right. Like, that doesn't tell me anything. Which is why also so often the job of the visual effects supervisor becomes important, right? There are guys right. out there like uh, Roger Giat, for example, right, mm-hmm. uh, who, I mean, do not turn in bad work, right? Like what? Correct. Giat's like, I mean, quote unquote, worst movie is like Star Trek Into Darkness, which I think we all, you know, say what you will, looks great. Yeah. I mean, he did the that's Pirates. That's not the one with Idris Elba, right? It is that's no. the one. That's the okay. Benedict Cumberbatch. It's the Cumberbatch one. Yeah, yeah, that one's good. Um, the, he did all the Star Wars. He did all the Harry Potters. He did all the Pirates of the Caribbeans. Kelly Port, an incredible visual effects supervisor who did Avengers. But again, with a lot of those, you're working with directors who understand the part. Yeah, well, and that's you're the thing. is, with I think- George Lucas or you're working with Gore Verbinski. The Harry Potter ones, maybe not so much. But even Chris Columbus on the first few Harry Potters knows what he's talking about. Alfonso Cuaron on the third one knows what he's talking about. Right. John Knoll is on the Mission Impossible movies, right? And is working with mm-hmm. Macquarie or, or is on Avatar. <laughs> is I, I was told to vis- I was told I was under the impression Mission Impossible had no visual effects because Tom Cruise does everything. Oh, that's <laughs> a great point. Like, I forgot about that. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't count actually visual yeah, because I'm supposed to go to the theater and watch him do something that's going to be slathered in CGI anyway. So. Actually, this is an important thing that we talk about a lot. I mean, we should mention it here um, is that um, if a movie has visual effects, that's bad. And if you can see them and if you notice them, that means not only is the movie bad, but the people who made those visual effects are bad at their jobs. And they're, if you think the movie's good, yeah. you're dumb also. That's something. <laughs> right. uh, Jack, I was going to compare this, just reading that quote from Vulture. I wanted to get your reaction. It sounds a lot like what the gaming industry is dealing with right now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely similar. The gaming industry is, I mean, I guess this isn't a compliment, but the gaming industry has always been kind of a... Uh, wild west um right. without like any sort of unionization or, or a lot of uh uh what is the word it's really easy to get like some not great business practices by yeah uh, um but you know well i don't know i i guess i was gonna say hopefully it'll it'll calm down in time but the fact that 
other industries are also going this way feels maybe less positive. <laughs> I just, it makes me wonder because of the similarity of the actual work, right? Just like it is a creative field where you are being directed by creative people, but the actual mm-hmm. work itself is highly technical and like your boss probably doesn't know the actual ins and outs of your job. So when and they the, say the like financial stakes involved are so yeah incredible that like risk taking is not uh, really on the table a lot of the time. No. Yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting. I uh, hopefully I'll say this, Jack, hopefully as one industry figures it out, the other is taking notes. And then between mm-hmm. that, they can all get it squared because, yeah, that would be ideal. All right, thanks for hanging out with us for another episode of Nerd Here Weekly. Uh, we're, before we head out, we're going to hit you with some pop culture recommendations. These are things we've been watching, reading, eating, playing, or listening to lately that we've enjoyed, and we think you'll enjoy too. And this week, I want to start with Fred. Oh man, so we've actually already said this one before, but I just picked up that Hitman game that you guys have been playing. Oh yeah? Um, yeah, yeah, man. I, I dig it. I, I, I need to work on my softer touch. Um, <laughs> um, I'm really good at the yeah, I'm really, really good at, at, at the shooting part. I, I need to work on the not shooting part. Um, you know, that's, sneaky, sneaky. that's that's what I'm working on personally. Fair enough. D-back? Um, I don't know if I mentioned it last time I was on the show, but I uh, watched an Indian miniseries called uh, Farzi. It means fake. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. It's really good. It's about uh, down on his luck guy in Bombay who... Uh, Decides to he he owns like a his family owns like a printing press and he and his friend decide that the only way they can get rich is to make counterfeit money and it's about both the cops trying to catch him and then of course he gets entangled with some larger underworld figures and they turn on him and it's eight or nine episodes very good uh, worth watching and if I'd already mentioned that then I'll just say Last of Us Jackson uh, yeah well uh, Riley. You, me, and Fred have been playing uh, the game Immortality. Yeah. And uh, it reminded me, well, I I played it a little bit, but it's a fun game. And if people haven't played it before, they should give it a look before checking us play it out. What? What? Check. Watching us play it. Okay. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, you'll probably get spoiled there. And, And it's worth playing it if you can. Yeah, and come through on the website or the YouTube. And We're then doing you can it come watch, yeah, with no guilt. <laughs> I, uh, let's see, for me, I watched Phil Tippett's weird, squishy, stop-motion masterpiece, Mad God. How is uh, it? I, it's been sitting on my shelf. So good. Is it good? Okay. I mean, I'll say it's not going to be for everybody. I you, you will probably know in the first 20 minutes or so if it's your style of film, um, and it might not be. But I enjoyed it a lot, and it was fun for me, and uh, it was, you know, Phil Tippett is a visual uh, auteur who has been doing work, um, you know, speaking of visual effects. Visual effects guy, right? Yeah. 2001 and Tree of Life. 
Jurassic Park. I mean, he's the guy that gets circulated on the internet every once in a while because he's credited as dinosaur handler in Jurassic Park because he oh. <laughs> he does the dinosaurs. Um, so he's the guy that everybody makes fun of for letting the dinosaurs out of the park. You had one I job, Phil Tippett. In depth conversation with you about that job once I've seen it. Yeah, you know all about animation. We'll do a big Watchmen. We can get Dave on because he just watched yeah. it. We'll do a Watchmen with Dave about Mad God. Look for that coming soon. Um, yeah, so that was fun. Hey, it's going to be a big year for us. Year of the buzzsaw. All right, this has been Nerd It Here Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. Oops, that's not the right music. I can't do it that fast. This is our first show, guys. Don't forget to tune in next week to hear. They are not 100% faithful to the books, but I think you made fair compromises. <laughs> <laughs>